One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, Chris Evans here. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast of the Best of Breakfast Show with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, the hilarious Adam Hills tells us why he won't stick a camera up his bum for charity. <laughs> Which translates as the last legs 90 minute stand up to cancer special and their upcoming 20th series. TV's golden couple Richard and Judy discuss their new podcast, looking at 12 of their all time favourite book club books. U2's Adam Clayton celebrates the 20th anniversary of the release of All That You Can't Leave Behind. And TV Technicolor legend Philip, also played Joseph Schofield, generously expands on an inspiring, super brave, and ultimately uplifting memoir, Life's Watch. You make it. All of that and loads more still to come. Now, Dapper Dave, tell us who's the first guest. Thank you. She's a comedy whirlwind that'll turn your head and a literary whiz that'll turn your pages. Her first novel in five years, Because of You, is out now. And it's because of her we've been entertained for over 30 years. Please welcome the one, the only, Dawn French. Morning, Dawn. Oh, my goodness. You're Nothing right. like an introduction I from know, you for I a know. nice big fat ego boost. No. How are you doing? Really good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really good too, actually. Really good. Uh, so, first yeah. novel in five years. Of course, yes. there, there's been diaries in between, though. Let's not forget those little babies. Yes, yes. There was a diary, yeah, between the last uh, novel and this one. And that was because I was turning 60 at the time and I thought I'd do something a bit different. Right, so how do you feel now that you've moved on from the 60 starting line? <laughs> well, I turned 63 last week. No card I from you. I believe it. Can't I noticed, believe it. although there's always time to catch up, isn't there, Chris, with, I don't know, something engraved, something <laughs> dangly, Etched. something from Tiffany's. I don't know, whatever whatever suits you. Uh, don't embarrass me with something young. small. Okay. Um, but, yes, turned 63 and actually ready to get back to some... Proper meaty writing. Good for you. All right. I love the way your books are are laid out. Uh, They're different, aren't they? Do you do that on purpose? Laid out in which way? The the way the type and the font is, different to other books, they look just more prosaic. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. At the very beginning, when I started to write my first novel, I just didn't want one of those those covers with uh, sort of girly slingback shoes or a cupcake or a... (laughs) <laughs> little stars I just didn't it's a bit kind of ooh a, a girl has written this and uh, only people with no brains can read it please mm. I didn't want that I want something a bit stark and uh, and take me seriously not the case at all and here you are another proper full on comedic celeb who can actually write so this is your fourth novel Graham Norton has just <laughs> written his third so it was three yes. all but you're now back in the lead um, yes he's also a very very good writer so well done to both of you um, thank you Pitch this one to us as if I was Spielberg and you were you were a would-be Hollywood producer. Oh my goodness! Come on. Okay. Well, well. Um, first of all, there are no children or animals in it, except oh. that there are children, so that's a lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's cheap. It's cheap. Um, no, the fact is that this. This is how the story starts. There are two women, two very different women, mm. in a hospital ward giving birth on the same night, yep. and. Um, in the morning, one of those women takes home a baby daughter and the other woman doesn't. 
And the woman who takes home the baby daughter has stolen the other woman's child. And so it's like the most unthinkable thing you can imagine happening to you as a mother is that somebody takes your brand new baby. And then the novel explores what happens 18 years later when that daughter finds out that the mother she's always thought was her, her mother is is not. And what that does to your sense of identity, to your sense of belonging, to what family you're, you know, you're from, to who made you, you know, I'm interested in all of that. I'm interested in what, you know, whether we're made of our blood and our bones or whether we're made of who who's who stood up for us you know who, who stepped up that's so interesting it's a big old clanging premise i mean rachel's tearing up just hearing you uh, talk <laughs> about it that's because she's read the book though isn't it Rach? hi dawn um, hi rachel i yeah i read it i devoured it all in about a weekend i loved it oh. it was really shocking at the start yes. because you say that's just the unthinkable um and then just to go from there, as you said, so so this shocking, shocking beginning and then just her normal life and, and yes. who she becomes and, and how she goes about it. How did you come up with the idea for that beginning? Because yeah. it really hits you in the face. That's the question. Well, I suppose I wanted to write a, a terrible, sinful, unimaginable, awful thing that you then forgive somebody for. That's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to write a central character who in my book is called Hope who steals that baby. Uh, But I wanted you to love Hope and understand her and forgive her. And it's quite a hard thing to forgive that. So that was my sort of challenge, if you like. That was my writing challenge, was to make sure that you come on side with Hope eventually. And it's up to the reader whether they do or they don't and you will know Rachel because there's a bit of a twist oh the twist uh, which we don't want to give away oh, <laughs> oh yeah that's what I was going to say many, many can't wait for the twist this is why I need to find a beach for my beach read <laughs> for my dog French beach can't find a blooming beach got the book the whole way through it you kind of you're, you are so challenged in this whole idea of identity and, and, and how do you become the person that you are and it's that whole is it nature is it nurture yeah but it is also a proper beach read and the twist at the end is it came from nowhere oh so it's at the end is it near the end <laughs> yes it's at the end so don't just read the last few yeah. pages don't do that. That careful that everyone careful to pass the exam it will not here's an idea read the whole book read the whole book I want to do that exactly yeah, I, go on. I guess I'm trying to say in this book mm. that life is really messy you know and and uh, women are the main event in this book women are at the center of it there are some very interesting men I hope I hope I've written some good men in there and some you know funny moments but i i'm talking about the relationship between these two women and the relationships between mothers and daughters which obviously you know i i had a fantastic mum and um and i've got a fantastic daughter and i know about that kind of visceral relationship and how how it kind of underpins everything we do before you go did you have a twist to go into this story or did you think you had to come up with a twist and why did you decide to put it where you put it yes i knew that the twist had to come at the end because of the of the nature of the forgiveness and putting other people first i knew that had to come at the end i knew it was going to be something like it is Uh, But I had to check out some uh, medical stuff. Oh, I'm being very teasy here. But I had to do some medical research to be sure that it could actually happen uh, in real life. Um, but that yes, I put that at the end to be a hopefully a bit of a heartbreaker. All right, well, I've got my beach read. As I say, I'm still looking for a beach. Dawn, lovely to talk to you again. 
Lovely to talk to you too, Chris. All right. She's... Bye, and bye, Rachel. Thanks for reading it. <laughs> Rachel's in her news booth now, about to read something else. Oh, is she? It's, well, sh- it's shorter, but equally as important because it's called the news. <laughs> All right. Dawn French, because of you, is out now. Beautifully observed, says The Times. A fantastic page turner, says The Mail on Sunday. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Going live on your radio this morning is the star of this morning and now best selling writer. His autobiography, Life's What You Make It, is out now and here to tell us more is a man that's gone from Gordon the Gopher to a morning telly sofa and everywhere in between. It's the legendary Philip Schofield. Good <laughs> morning, you. Philip. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Well done. Thank you. Not congratulations because you wouldn't like that. It's well done, isn't it? Um, that's nice. Coming from you, I'm fine. That's the lovely. Thank oh, you. mate, this book is something else. I wasn't ready for it. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not nervous about this conversation we're going to have, but I think, you know, I might go a lot more than you in it because you've, you've, pra- you're now practiced at talking about what you've written, I suppose. Well, uh, if I'm honest, I haven't done that many interviews. Um, for this reason, um, it's getting better each time I do it. The audiobook was incredibly hard to read out loud. Um, parts of it were great fun, obviously. There's, there's lots that's great fun. Uh, and I wanted it to be, a, obviously, a balance between... I knew what was coming at the end, but I wanted the other stories, all the stories that my mates had said, oh, my God, you have to write that down, you have to write that down. But, um, but yeah, that's been, that was tough. I'm sure, I'm sure. I mean, it is laugh out loud funny. Some of it's so Good. funny. Uh, and I said on the air when we came in at half past six, because I, I set the alarm for two o'clock this morning to, to carry on reading it, because I just want to, I, I, I'm so glad I did, by the way. And um, I said, you know, it had me laughing and crying. It, la- it was laugh, cry, laugh, laugh, cry, laugh, within seven pages. It's that seven minutes of that yo-yo of emotion. So what's it been like for you? I have no idea at all. Um Let's kick. Let's kick off with a funny. Um, when you, you you made that secret trip down to Cornwall to to come out to your mum, mm. you know, and she was next in your relay of coming out mm. people to come out to, uh, and you 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 bought some. You tell the story. You bought some fish and chips. Well, I um I have a an incredibly loyal and wonderful driver called Tony who's been with me for years and years and years. And Tony scraped me up and knows all my mates, knows the ones that's, that that are going to lead me astray. And I knew I had to go down to Cornwall. I thought, I am. there's no way that I'm going to be able to concentrate, knowing what I'm about to do. There's no way I can concentrate, so I'm going to need Tony to drive me down, which is extravagant in the extreme. But anyway, Tony drove me down to Cornwall. I said, stop off and get some fish and chips. And we always go to this place called Flounders in Newquay, which is my favourite fish and chip shop, and picked it up, went round to my mum. She knew I was coming, and she knew something was up. And, um, and I went in, and uh, she's got the most beautiful apartment which overlooks Fistral Beach, which is my childhood wrapped up in a in a landscape, really. And so um, I sat down and we chatted and she and we chatted. And um, I have uh, floaters in my eyes, which drive me crazy. I don't talk about them very much. I've talked about them more, obviously, because they mentioned in the book. And loads of people have come to me and said, oh, my God, me too. But this is not like the little bits that you see floating. This is like a filthy bathroom window drifting in front of my vision. And we're getting closer and closer to being able to find someone who can fix them. And they drive me mad. But they're not dangerous in any way. They just drive me mad, especially if they hover over an autocue or something that I'm reading. And um, so I went down there. My mum knows about these. And I, we had our fish and chips. And, uh, and I said, Mum, I have, I have something to tell you. So she said, OK, all right, OK. Um... I said, I'm, you know, um, I'm gay. And, um, and she went, oh, thank God. And I looked at her and she said, I thought you were going blind. 
<laughs> and I thought, where does that... And I said, what the hell do you mean? Why do you think I'm going blind? She said, well, those things you've got in your eyes. And I know you've been very sad recently. I said, no, Mum, no, no, I'm not going blind. But that, the reaction from pretty much everyone uh, in recent times before what we call we called the event, which is the event in the book as well, um, when I when I actually told everybody, they they all to a man and woman went, oh thank God, we thought you were seriously ill. <laughs> Martin Frizzell, your boss at this I morning, know. he said, oh God, thank God, I thought you were dying. Yeah, and the viewers actually uh, ha- yeah. had similar thoughts because of the way you looked had, on screen. The weight had dropped off me. Um, seriously, I just couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I describe loops in there um, of it just going round and round and round in your head and it's so torturing and uh, and so my um, you know the, the, the relief of being able to tell people what it was that was actually silencing me in the makeup room and I'm just sort of sitting there we have, we have such a brilliant atmosphere there's such a you've seen in there I mean it's such a great team great fun and we have a laugh every day and then suddenly I was laughing slightly less, you know, and it was getting a bit more serious and I was losing weight and and, and people would say how, what a wonderful weekend they'd had and how was my weekend and I would have just stared in the, into the fire and talked to Steph and, and these loops, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You have to come out, you have to come out, you can't come out, you can't, you have to, but you can't. What are the consequences? Yeah, but what are the consequences if you don't? So it was that sort of thing. It was weighing up. Could I live with this myself and the damage that it was doing to me, knowing the damage that if I didn't live with it just on my own and I did make it public, what it was going to do to my family? And that was the hardest thing of all. But the closer to the family, whether it's your work family or, or your family at home, uh, the more people know when something's not right. And um, you, the people you work with this morning, you've been with forever, haven't you? Yeah. More or less forever, in, in uh, teleterms forever. Yeah, it's about 18, 19 years now. And they knew something was up, but they didn't know what. Um, And, um, you know, a couple of them sort of gently confronted you with, uh, you know, in the six months prior to September the 7th, uh, February the 7th. Uh, What kind of things were they saying to you? Well, it's just really Holly. I mean, uh, Holly pulled me to one side and this was, wow. I mean, we've been at TV Centre for a couple of years and this was when we were at the South Bank. And so it was a little while ago. And she pulled me over to one side and said, are you okay? So I said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm okay. Are you absolutely sure? So I said, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. And she said, well, you will tell me. You will talk to me, won't you? Um, and I said, yeah, of course. Uh, and Gino, when we were in the studio, Gino De Campo, and he was cooking and we were in a commercial break and he was about to do something. And I, uh, I didn't realise until Gino put his hand on my shoulder and said, are you okay? So I said, yes, I'm fine. He said, you, this is a four minute commercial break for three and a half minutes. You have been standing in the middle of the studio floor, looking at your feet on your own. What's the matter? I said, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just, you know, sort of concentrating, just thinking. And, uh, and he gave me the universal sign for call me and I didn't, you know, so there were a few people who, who spotted it. Um, but, um, I think the the great thing for all of them was was relief when they found out that um, that it I wasn't dying. I know. All going, all going blind. blind. <laughs> Still time. Yeah. Well, one of them's definitely going to happen. But um, but you felt like you were dying. Yeah. That's the difference, isn't it? There yeah. was there was a sort of psychological 
uh, mortality that was within... It just wasn't me anymore. I lost me. Yeah. And I still haven't found me, um, if I'm honest. And I've tried all the way through this to, to you know, to writing the book and, and, and in the few interviews that I'm doing uh, to be as honest as I possibly can be. And I don't know that I've necessarily found me yet. Um, and, I'm, and, you know, it, it's okay. Uh, I think it's okay for me to look. Um, I, I, I have recently found myself finding it easier to laugh more. Um, it's always funny with Holly. We always laugh anyway. But, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just you think, oh, no, that feels nice. It feels nice to laugh. That, that feels better. And so finding me is, is the, is the, um, that's the goal for the moment. It's a real pleasure to know you, Philip Schofield. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. In 1976, four friends from Dublin formed a band, and it's gone pretty well since then. The 20th anniversary reissue of All That You Can't Leave Behind is out next Friday, and here to tell us what it feels like now his album can drive, drink and vote is the greatest bassist in the placest. It's Adam Clayton! (laughs) All right, Adam... Hello, good morning. <laughs> Thank you for that extraordinary introduction. Um, and that was an amazing interview with Philip as well. Much respect. That's, that's quite a journey, quite a story. Thank okay. You. Thank well, you very much. F- Philip's here now. You might as well have a chat to him. Um, did, did you recognise any of that journey, you know, uh, because being in recovery yourself, Adam, you know, is there, are there any sort of similarities to, to, to what Phil's been through? Uh, well, I think certainly that feeling of, of just being totally disconnected um, and in my case, you know, alcohol abuse and, and drug abuse uh, kind of disconnected me more. But for what Phil was saying, you know, when it's, it's your whole center of your universe and, and you, you're, you've lost that groundedness. I mean, I don't, I, the, you know, you looked like you were really suffering towards the end there before, before the event. Hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. What about you, though? Did you, um, did you talk to, how did you suddenly decide you had to do something about where you were well i think i think the band had been managing me or or, you know for a long time and they were just pleased when i got to the point where i i realized and i think this is what happens in addiction anyway you get to the point where you you, you're just fed up of it and and you can't take it anymore and you want help and you want to feel better and so i did approach them um before the All That You Can't Leave Behind album, actually, the pop album, I approached them in the middle of that and said, look, I, I really need a break. I've got to go to rehab. And, and everyone rallied around me and supported me because, you know, it takes, it takes a while after you come out of rehab before you find your feet again. And I think it's, it's, it's at least two years of rebooting yourself. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you recognise um, the things... Uh, Phil was talking about now about how he feels now. You know, it's not immediate relief. It's not immediate redemption. Um, you, you're sort of at a, a, a secondary impasse, if you like. Yeah, I think there's there's lots of things to work out. And and in in Phil's case, obviously your your relationship with your family is is you know what you are um, most fearful of how that might go and I, I can see when you were talking you were saying you know the what ifs and the consequences but it sounds like your family like any family would have really rallied around you and supported you and I guess you need to 
to find your way through that now, or mm. you probably have at this point. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people have said, and I'm grateful, and, and it's um, obviously when you write uh, any book, uh, and the write, writing this one was, was I knew was going to be, parts of it were going to be tough, but, um, but when you open up, uh, what's been lovely is people's reactions saying, you know, um, oh, my, you made me laugh, you made me cry, um, but also all the way through this, um, you can see your love for your family, their love for you, um, and, and, and that is, you know, is very important. What about, so what about you then? So did you find that, um, that after, when, you, when you'd said, okay, this is my issue, this, I need to sort this out, that, um, that, that your, your family and that your friends were holding back and say, and before saying, you know, you've got to do something about this, did they have to wait for you to make the decision? I, they did, really. Uh, and, you know, of course, in the case of addiction, you know, it gets to quite an embarrassing stage. And, you know, what was amazing was that, that everybody did stand by me. And, of course, the, the road to recovery afterwards, you know, people, you know, they don't know if you're going to fall off the bike again. So, um, you know, they have to kind of look and and be there and be a strength and support you as you put your life back together again and 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 you build it on new building blocks and you're much stronger you're much greater you realize your full potential and and i'm sure now that you've you've written the book you, that's quite cathartic you sound like you've you've been doing a lot of work with the therapist as well all these things kind of help you rebuild your life and 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 you have a freedom and i guess that was the thing i got from from being in recovery was you get that freedom and that's something I've wanted my whole life. So from all your album babies, uh, where would you rate, where would you rank all that you can't leave behind, which is celebrating the 20th anniversary of A Week Today? Well, you know, the interesting thing is this is, this is midway between the boy album, which is also um, having a, a celebration, an anniversary year of, of 40, and where we are now. So it was right in the middle We'd come through Joshua Tree playing stadiums. We'd come through Acton Baby, through TV playing stadiums. And we wanted to get back in the room and concentrate on the song and the band sound. And coming back to this record now, uh, 20 years later, I think the songs are amazing. Um, and of course, it was an extraordinary year that, I mean, who knew what was going to happen that year? 9-11 happened. The Irish peace process was happening. Um, our good friend, um, from in excess, Michael Hutchins, you know, died that year. These were all really big things for us as a band. Um, and, and these songs really sort of stand up to scrutiny. Um, Adam, you know, how to stick together, how to work with the same three slash four people uh, for the last 41 years now. Um, have you got any takeaways for people listening to do with that? You know, I, I think it just you just have to respect that people are very different and you have to give people a lot of room um, to go through whatever they're going through and be supportive so that you can all come back together again. You know, no long-term relationship, it's a, it's a four-way marriage here, is going to be perfect every day, but you, you just support each other. And I think Phil is a testament to that as well. Yeah. We, we've interviewed so many uh, bands who were together, broke up, either friendly or acrimonious or whatever, then came back again, um, and have almost all of them have said, 
do you know what? We're having a better time now than we ever had. There's slightly less pressure. We have grown into ourselves. We understand each other as band members that much better. Have you found that, it, it, what is it like now? And especially because you were talking about your own sort of personal um, uh, addiction earlier on and, and, uh, and, and changing your life. So are you having a better time now as a band than you were? Or was it better in the old days? Yeah, I mean, I think the narrative has has been sort of distorted by the very young in that I think you get better as a band the longer you stay together, the longer you stay playing. Um, and certainly you become much more confident about your own abilities or limitations, depending on how you look at it. Um, we, are, we, we row much less. I mean, we, all we used to do was our rehearsals were just one big fight. <laughs> and, and you have to go through that. That's what you have to do. Love but it. now... You know, we each know what we do. We respect each other, and it's it's a lot more fun. And we finish earlier. Great. <laughs> yeah. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, thirty six percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Get a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/work. Shopify.com/work. We've heard from three guests already, but there's loads more still to come. The brilliant Bertie Carvel tells us about the chilling four-part ITV drama The Sister. The gorgeous and gifted Gabby Roslin delves into her brand new podcast, The Gabby Roslin Podcast. And Sister Bliss from Faithless takes us through the beats behind the band's new single Synthesizer and their first new album for 10 years. All blessed. All of that and more still to come. So let's get right back to it. Dapper Dave, who's next? They captivated the nation from their sofa and now make sure you have the best books when you're curled up on yours. Episode 1 of 10 Years of the Richard and Judy Book Club podcast drops tomorrow. And here to have a word are a simply legendary synonym and her. It is, of course, Richard and Judy. Good morning, (laughs) Richard and Judy. Good morning. Morning, Chris. How do we do this? How do we talk to both of you down the line when I can't see who's going to talk next? Can you give me some tips on Uh, this? Well, Well, you you, you could could signal who you want to speak. You could say Judy, for example, or you could say Richard. How about that? But I also think that you can bet your life that it'll usually be Richard who talks first. Oh, we (laughs) all remember those days. We remember those days. Okay, I'm going to prove her wrong, okay? (laughs) I'm going to shut up uh, every time you ask a question. That's what's going to happen then. All right. Bye, Bye, Richard. So, Judy. (laughs) (laughs) Ten years of the Richard and Judy book club. First of all, let's, let's, uh, let's talk to Richard. So, do you remember the first week? Do you remember where the plan was hatched? Uh, yeah, we'd, we'd done about 10 years on Channel 4, uh, and we'd had a book club that had gone really well there, and then when we left, Channel 4 kind of held on to the rights to it, which was annoying, and then we got them back, and it happened in a week. We had about three meetings with uh, with WH Smith, because they were really keen to do it, and nobody was sure if it would work just in the high street, you know, without, without and there were no podcasts then, you know, um, without any telly to back it up, but we thought, well, it might, and it, it's incredible. We look back now, I mean, it's a bit like you, when you look back through time, if you counted up the number of hours you've been on air, Chris, you've probably dropped dead on the spot. 
<laughs> now, we were looking back yesterday on, on these 10 years, and we've, we've done two, nearly 250 books we've recommended, Whoa. which means we've read for the book club probably about 700. And you're on this morning tomorrow, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. I'm talking about the same thing, really. It's, it's, it's funny. I would have thought that books and book clubs wouldn't actually attract that much attention or interest, but it really has. They're this 10th massive. anniversary has been a really big deal. Um, it's taken us aback, actually. Yeah, but they're massive. I mean, if you've been to a, a bookstore recently, you know, whether it's in central London or where I live in Marlow or whatever, they are, they yeah. are things of joy, and they, they are, they are they've, they're thriving. They're not just surviving. I mean, you know... Well, so- that's- Lockdown has just had this enormous impact on book sales. And it's, it's because, this is what I think, I think that, you know, television's fine and, you know, watching your box sets is fine, but it's very, very non, non-interactive. You just sit and look at a flat screen and it's fine. It doesn't really suck you in. There's nothing, I know this sounds a bit of a cliche, but it's true. There's nothing like getting into a really good book because it, it, it makes you use your imagination. You have to, you never have to work at it, but it kind of engages bits of the brain that just watching a good drama on the telly doesn't. Um, it sucks you in. And also, if I always find this, if you go back to a book that you really enjoyed a couple of years ago, you think, oh, I'll have a look at that again. And it's your copy that you had. You're part of the book. Yeah. You know, you like turn to page five and there's a splash of like tomato soup that you remember dropping at lunch on a bit further on, maybe red wine that you spilled at bedtime, you know, <laughs> and bits of crumb, bits of toast crumb. And it's your document. It's your book. So, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt there's a huge renaissance of books. Yeah, no, you're right. And also, Richard, we've got to say it's not just all the things you said. It is those plus that people have had the time. Ah, well, that's true. Yeah, exactly. You've, I mean, we've all, especially for us, we were in, we're actually in um, quarantine. We came back from France and we had two weeks in quarantine. If you think lockdown is oppressive, have you, have you been in quarantine? No, I haven't, to be honest. Not not that I know of, not that I'm aware of. (laughs) (laughs) I think you'd remember. It's a nightmare. I mean, you can't even go out your front door. Um, so, yeah, got a lot of reading done then. Richard, just tell us about, from a business point of view, you know, what the relationship with you in the publishing world, with, you know, if one of their books gets into your recommendations, that is a big deal. So, so you know, without pulling any punches, you know, being, you know, over-defensive, what, what's that been like? Have you been lobbied? Have you been pitched different things? Have you, have you been wooed? No. Um, W.H. Smith are a very good filter. It, everything goes through them. Um, and if anybody approaches us directly, and sometimes authors do and writers do, we can say, hand on heart, look, you, it doesn't work this way. The, the books have to be submitted in a very kind of formal way by the publisher concerned to the to, to W. Smith. Sorry to keep saying that. Um, and they then winnow every three months. They get about maybe 500 books and they winnow them down to about 15 and send them to us, um, you know, by special delivery. And then we read them and we pick six every every quarter. We pick six out of that, that long list. And that, those are our selections. And that's the, and, and it works like that rigidly. So there's no way that, you know, we can be doing favours for anybody or taking back handers, I suppose, is what you were suggesting. It's, um, no, it's, no, I wasn't suggesting that at all. No, well, but, maybe you're listening to um, no, 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 seriously, that's what I mean. I wasn't, no, that's why I said don't be over-defensive. No, it's just an, because, inter- you know, if, if you're the place to go, it's like having a show like this. People want to come on it. Of course they do. And I just wondered how yeah. that worked. That was all I was saying. I promise. No, Chris, Chris, people do, um, do send us books all the time, um, especially in, when we're in Cornwall. Um, we, 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 every time we go down to Cornwall, there's a, a massive pile of books in the porch that people are usually first books. And I feel, I, I feel quite um, sort of sad, really, and a little bit guilty that it doesn't work, that we can't read a book and think, that is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yes, that's going in the book club. It's not. I mean, we, we, decide, we decide from the long list. We decide which are the best of the titles we're given. But it's true. It is a massive responsibility. Yeah, and I, I certainly feel it. And I feel, I feel really bad that we can't kind of take on more completely fresh authors. Because it's really hard, actually, to get published. It's really hard. Yeah, but we do launch a lot of debut writers. A lot of these best-selling books, they are, they are first 
first first books by, by by writers, which which gives us a real kick. I mean, yesterday we were doing a, a podcast recording with um, Joseph O'Connor, who wrote an amazing book called Star of the Sea, which was our very very first ever book in the in the Channel Four Book Club. And he told us this amazing story. He said he, what his book was about number six thousand on the Amazon list, right? Yeah. And then he watched us do this interview with Bob Geldof about his book, where we all said it was brilliant and it was as good as Dickens and it, it should be fantastic. And it was a big goal for four or five hundred page historical novel, you know, which don't normally sell that that many. And he said he, he watched the interview and us going mad about it. And then he went back to Amazon. And he said for the next two or three hours, he just watched his book rise like yeah. a cork coming up through water until by the next morning, he was number one. Yeah. Um, so, yes, we, we, we do know that if we endorse a book, whether it's on the telly or the podcast or in the high street, we, we, we do know it's a responsibility. So that's why we're so careful in the books we select. And, you know, the ones that are in this new list, I mean, they're the, I think that they're the best 12 books that have been written in the U.S. and the U.K. in the last 10 years because they're the best of the best. <laughs> oh, Richard. Oh, wow. Rich. He's not one for hyperbole. You know that. Let him have a go now and again. Um, thank you so much. Love you both. Bye-bye. All right, Andrew. Chris. Love you, Chris. Thank you very much. All Bye. the best. 10 Years of the Rich and Judy Book Club podcast. Episode 1 drops tomorrow. Wherever you get your podcasts, best of the book club collection available in store and at whsmith.co.uk from tomorrow. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He came from a land down under and we haven't stopped chuckling since. The 20th series of The Last Leg starts tonight on Channel 4 with a stand-up to cancer special and here to tell us all about it. As the saying goes, there's gold in them there hills. More specifically, Adam Hills. <laughs> all right, Adam. Good morning. You OK? I'm well, thank you. And you? Yeah, very well. Congratulations on 2020 series of The Last Leg. That is some achievement, my friend. Well, I, I can only thank the news for that because we really should have run out of stories about three years ago. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's come back to bite you where the sun shines from a comedy point of view, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this year, we, you know, 20, remember, do you remember 2016 where we thought that was the worst year ever? <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on your point of view. I know what you mean about 2016. Um, but, you know, you're about to square the circle because it's a week on Tuesday, the US election. We're hearing, Adam, um, that it's going to be the longest count in US election history because of the 40 odd million postal votes. What are you hearing? Uh, yes, I've heard that that's possibly going to take place. I've also heard that there's a very good chance the Secret Service are going to have to drag Donald Trump from the White House yeah. by his feet <laughs> if he loses this, because there's no way he's walking out on his own. Right, so uh, what have you got lined up for tonight, first of all? Because it's a very important show tonight, isn't it? Yeah, so it's our Stand Up to Cancer special tonight. Uh, we're doing a 90-minute episode. We've got Kevin Bridges, Sarah uh, Pascoe, um, Richard Iowati, we've got a, a public health expert called Dr. Zand Van Tooligan, who's been called the Ben Affleck of medicine. <laughs> um, and I, so for the past few years on Stand Up to Cancer, I've been banging on about how easy it is for men to get a prostate exam and how they really should do it. Not enough men are doing it, not to be afraid of it. So this year the producers said, well, how about you put your money where your mouth isn't and you get a prostate exam live on air. Love so, it, love it. That's going to be happening tonight on the show. So that's uh, not an endoscopy, it's a colonoscopy, is it? It will be, uh, it will, yes, yes, it will be the, the, the finger. It will be a digital uh, prostate exam, a rectal examination. No, but will it be with the camera or just with the, just with the finger? With the finger, it will be with the finger. No camera? I mean, no. Oh, well, come on, Adam, <laughs> it's a TV show, for heaven's sake. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Do you know what? I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Doing a live Friday night TV comedy show. Yes. 
we are very, very aware that there are those who have come before us and who have nailed this format. Uh-huh. And every now and again, a little t- thing in my head will go, what would Chris Evans do? And now I know the answer. He would take a camera. Well, hang on a minute. Right, here's the thing, Adam. Uh, I don't want to get on your case too much here. I don't want to beat you up on the air, but I think I'm about to. So forgive me, right? So so I've had two colonoscopies. I think I might have had three, actually. Um, Right. And they give you the option of watching your own the the monitor anyway as you're going through the procedure. So the technology is already there, and most people who've had a colonoscopy have done this. So you, I'm sorry, you've look. What time are you on? Ten o'clock tonight. You've still got time to sort this out. You have to have a. It has to be a camera. What's wrong? Okay. Of course. And also, then if they find a polyp, you'll see the polyp, and then they can actually snip it out live on the air. I mean, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. And then you can do a super slow mo replay and all this kind of stuff. And then they can send it off for the biopsy, um, you know, and you can have it expressed and you can get it back before. I don't know. You can ask for extra time from. I did that once from Jay Hunt. She said, gone as long as you like. No, not a problem. I feel like I'm, I'm sitting at the feet of a kung fu master and just learning what I should be yeah. doing. It's not about, you're not sitting at the feet, mate. You're sitting at the anus of one, all right? <laughs> and um, over the over the 20 seasons, I mean, how many years is that? It's not 20 years, is it? You do a couple of seasons a year, is it? Yeah, we started in 2012 for the Paralympics. Right, okay. Of course you did, yeah. And then everybody thought, this is good. Let's do, let's do some more of them. Little did they know, 2,000 episodes later. Da, da, da. <laughs> you know, I, I, do have, I do have a bit of a, TFA, a TFI brain still. Shall I, just, shall I just send you some stuff whenever I think of it? You don't have to use it, but it's, you can have it for free if you want. Absolutely. There are so <laughs> many times when we think we are... We are crossing into uncharted territory. Yeah. We're hacking through a jungle that no one's ever gone through, and then we'll find a path and go, hang on, someone was here before us. Yeah. They've made it a lot easier for us. No, it's cool. Don't worry about that at all. It's just good that you're still doing it. And, it, you know, we're preaching to some converted, but obviously this is about getting people who've never watched a show before to maybe have a go. Uh, so tell them about yourself. Why, why is it called The Last Leg, Adam? Well, it was called The Last Leg because um, it was on during the, the Paralympics. It was the last... TV show of the day, mm. and so as well as being a pun on disability and legs, I'm missing. I, I was born without a right foot. Alex Brooker, my co-host, has feet and hand deformities, um, but it was also it's like the last leg of a race. So it kind of there was a, like a three-way pun going on there. Yeah. And I remember at the time people were up in arms. How could Channel Four call a Paralympic show the last leg? And then they watched it and went, Oh, I see. I, I see. The hosts are on their last leg. I get it now. It's fine. And so. At the end of the Paralympics, Channel 4 said, well, you guys all seem to get along well together with Josh Whittacombe on the couch as well. Why don't you just come back every week and talk about the news? So I guess now we're like the last leg of the week. Yeah, no, it's a great show. Congratulations. Um, and you've just turned 50? I did. I turned 50 in lockdown in Melbourne because I've just come out of a three-month lockdown in Melbourne and I'm about to go into a, a, a winter lockdown in London. So I've spent a lot of time indoors this year. <laughs> I, bet, um, I bet you have. <laughs> and, yeah, my 50th originally was going to be spent in London. Then it was, well, let's go up to Sydney. And then it was, well, we can't leave Melbourne. We'll just have it at home over Zoom. But thankfully, as you would have, being in this industry, there are some kind of fancy names in my phone book. So my wife went through and got all my friends and anyone that was vaguely famous to send me a birthday message and put it into a video. So... I ended up with messages from like Russell Crowe, Johnny Peacock, Reese Darby, Whoopi Goldberg. It's just this really lovely celebration, even though I didn't have to leave the house. That's because she loves you. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it incredible? 
Isn't it incredible? Some women love us. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I, why? I why do they bother? Absolutely no idea why. <laughs> uh, Adam, uh, I've never met you, but I really like what you do. And give my love to Susie because I do love her and I know her very well. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. A good rule of thumb is that if our next guest is in a TV show, it's going to be really, really good. His absolutely excellent chilling new drama, The Sister, starts next Monday at 9pm on ITV. And here to tell us more is our brother from another mother. It's the Marvel. That is Bertie Carvel. Morning, the marvel that is Bertie Carvel. I love it. I love the mnemonic. Thanks very much. Yeah. Nice to be here. Well, thanks for being on the program again, Bertie. It's great to talk to you one more time. Uh, so, um, you play Bob in The Sister. Who is Bob? And tell us about The Sister. The Sister is a new drama by Neil Cross, who wrote Luther. And um, it's just, um, it, it's a brilliant, brilliant story. It's um, based on a novel he wrote, but he's kind of restructured it like a Russian doll. So you're piecing together um, what happened on one fateful night 10 years ago. Um, it opens with um, Nathan um, opening the door to his friend Bob, who he's not seen in 10 years. And he says, Bob, you can't be here. And um, we agreed. And Bob says, they're digging up the woods. And um, then we kind of spiral back in time and so the audience is following three timelines simultaneously piecing together the jigsaw of what happened and why it is that they agreed never to see each other again beautifully um, described by the way very oh, nicely very described well done. i've just woken up actually so forgive me i'm under a covid cloud i um i came down with a dreaded lurgy a couple of weeks ago and oh, um uh so i'm I, i'm 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 sort of moving slowly well, well done how are you feeling seriously I'm fine, actually. Yeah, it didn't hit me too hard. Um, it was um, a couple of days of, of shivery sweats, and, and, and since then I just had this dreadful cough. But um, I stepped outside yesterday for the first day um, out of isolation and instantly got a text message saying someone's named you as a coronavirus contact and you have to, have to isolate for two weeks. So I may be um, stuck in a, in a spiral. Well, that, is that, that must almost be impossible. Did you go to somewhere like for an hour before, like to a coffee shop or something like that? Because if you, if you were isolated, you didn't see anyone, did you? Well, you're quite right. Actually, I think it was just that my wife hadn't managed to answer the calls from the coronavirus tracing people, and she'd thank only just done it. Oh, so um, uh, I think I'm immune, but there we are. Now, Bob, you do a very good line in potential nut jobs. Here's another. <laughs> yes? Um, yeah, I guess that's that's probably a fair fair cop actually. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's a, a PC term, but yeah, it definitely describes a lot of my career. Um, uh, I don't know; they, they tend to be great parts, you know, interesting people, as I as I, I would put it. No, no, um, and I say potential. I'm not saying nailed on, not judged, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Um, you know, and here comes another one, and you just intrigue. You can't take. I can't take my eyes off you when you're on the screen. I, mean, I suppose that's what you want, isn't it? That's a compliment. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, yeah, um, you don't want to be the person and everyone else goes, oh, it's him, let's go make a nice cup of tea. <laughs> no, it's the opposite. Um, it's, it's, oh, it's him, forget the tea. <laughs> it's, the, it's the opposite emotion when you watch it. <laughs> yeah, um, well, he's, uh, he, he's good fun to play. Um, we had, quite, had good fun dressing up. Acting basically is an excuse to dress up for me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we had, we had good fun designing what he should look like and in three different time periods which is good fun because you know you can um be outrageous three times over um uh yeah no he's um I, I quite like playing um 
characters. Some somebody just said to me the other day, you play a lot of characters who are hard to like, which I quite like. I like the idea that they're hard to like, but you have a damn good try um, making people like them anyway. Um, so hopefully he fits that bracket. Yeah, well, understanding is the thing, isn't it? Where does this character come from? Uh, what you know? What what have they been through? What are they going to do with it? Where's the, is there any redemption on the horizon? Things like that. No, but there's a, there's a few of those. Um, two months later, eight years later, uh, which always gets you excited as a viewer. Now, uh, talking of sets and design, um, the, the the flat that Russell's character Nathan lives in is that Russell's actual flat because there's some gorgeous artwork on the walls, and I'm thinking, <laughs> hang on a minute. Um, Russell's getting double bubble for this. He's also he's hired his um, flat out to the to the people who do all that stuff. It's not his actual flat, but maybe it's his actual artwork, as you know, he's a keen collector. Massive he knows collector. his stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, if there was anything there with um, yeah with pedigree, I'm sure he'd have, have had his eye on it. Um, no, it's a it's a Hoff house. I can't even remember somewhere somewhere deep dark southwest London. Um, we we filmed it um, the. The drama's kind of set. It's not. It's never said that it's Bristol, but it reads very much to me like it's sort of set somewhere like Bristol. And um, to my amazement, it was cheaper to film in London than in Bristol. So well, <laughs> um, we, we went round London finding all these locations. We know why that like is, Bristol. don't we? We know why that is. Why is that? Banksy's put up the rent, hasn't he? Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's, it's the Banksy yeah. It's like Rick Stein in Padstow. <laughs> It's the same thing. <laughs> Cheaper to film in London than than Banksy's Bristol. Of course, it's, yeah. by the way, how how do you hide a Hoff house in Southwest London? Because they don't, um, you know, they're not the most covert it structures. It sounds like a shaggy they? dog story to me. How, how do you hide a Hoff house in Southwest London? It's also quite a good tongue twister. If I'm um, <laughs> next time I've got coronavirus and I'm late onto the Chris Evans show, I'm I'm going to have to do that as a as a little warm up. How do you hide a Hoff house in <laughs> Southwest London? Right, Bertie. Thank you so much. On that note, lovely to talk to you. <laughs> right, Bertie Carvel, just about putting up with us there. The Sister, which is brilliant. We all saw it over the weekend. Starts next Monday, 26th of October, into Halloween, intentionally from ITV1, 9pm. Back to back, Monday through Thursday, four episodes straight off the bat. The Sister, starting next Monday, 26th of October, ITV. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Right, so let's have a big intro <laughs> next up, Dave, over to you. She's been a stamp of quality on telly and radio for over 30 years, and now she's sprinkling her magic on a brand new podcast series. That Gabby Roslin podcast is live and kicking, and here to give us Robbie Williams' phone number is the blonde bombshell you know so well. It's the gorgeous Gabby Roslin. Morning, Gabs. <laughs> Morning, my darling. How are you? Really well, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Your podcast is very, very good. How did you get Robbie? Um, I asked him. Well, how'd you do that? I, I messaged him. I said, would you like to do the podcast? And he said, yes. It's the same with Dame Judy and the tenants. And I can't believe when they say yes. I still get that completely little girl excitement and I jump up and down and go, yes, they said yes, they said yes. So this is that Gabby Ro- Roslin podcast and you book your own guests, is what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. I just contact them. I just wanted to speak to people that like to talk about fun and laughter and all of that because I think there's so many... You know, it's not a particularly fun and happy place, the world at the moment. People are so anxious and stressed. So we just talk about fun things. And Richard E. Grant and... Well, I just I just ask them and when they say yes, I can't quite believe it. Can we listen to Robbie? Is, is he up yet? Is he dropped, as yes, they say? Um, yes. Well, the first one was Dame Judy and her daughter, Cinti. Right. And then the next one, Robbie Williams. And then Celia Imri and Himesh Patel. 
And then yesterday, the tenants, so David and Georgia Tennant together, um, which was very lovely to do, could completely fell in love with them and actually want to move into their house with them. I don't think they'll mind. I'm sure they won't. It seems like a lovely house. If that's the one they used on the the programme that we saw on BBC Two, what's it called? Staged. 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 Oh, it's a good show, wasn't it? Very good show. And by the way, Dame Dame Judy Pottymouth Dench made an appearance there. Yeah, well, yes. Yes, but also Mm. such a giggler. She just wants to giggle and she loves a giggle. So just have a giggle with her. No, no, absolutely. No, I will, I will. And and you're, because you're quite thespy, you know, for a TV person, you're quite thespy yourself. How thespy were you before we worked together? Uh, I never was thespy, even though I trained to be thespy. Right. I never was officially thespy, but I I just wanted to be on telly. That's all I ever, ever wanted to do. I just, that was it. I had that from the age of three. I was a little bit obsessed by it. And still am. Okay, still but, love it. But you do, ha- you do seem to have this common ground with actors when you interview them, which is, is all, you know, and the interviews are all the better for it because you do make all these theatrical references. So you are a big fan of theatre. And, of course, you have appeared oh. in the West End. You know, you have, you have been in Chicago, for heaven's yes. sake. <laughs> yes, so, I did. That was sort of halfway through. Yeah, I, and I love it. And what it breaks my heart what's happening now at the moment. And it's really, really hard, but not just for the performers, but for the people behind the scenes and the tech people and the front of house. And it's, you know, and they're not getting any money. They're not, it, it's very, very difficult for a lot of people. It breaks my heart, all of that. Um, I've seen your pictures of you podcasting. Is that at home? Do you have a little microphone at home? Yes, I have a microphone at home. And I sit in my husband's cupboard. Do you? Excellent. Yeah. Cool. All right, and so, he doesn't mind. And so, do you engineer this whole thing yourself? Is it is, is it a one woman production? No, I've production? got a fantastic production company, Cameo Productions, and they link us up via the magic of the internet. Right. And and also, um, the music was done by Beth Macari, who I just got in touch with, and I said, "Do you fancy writing a jingle?" Because she's an amazing singer. Mm-hmm. And she said, "Okay." So I'm just, I just, you know what? Just pulling in and asking people who are just all lovely people. See, now you, uh, your Judy and Finty um, interview comes in at about 40 minutes. I was going to go longer uh, with her. What's your advice on that? Well, we went longer, but we had to snip some of it out because we absolutely and utterly completely lost it giggling. Right. So, uh, but she knows she can talk and talk and talk. And she's a complete, she is a proper, proper dream. And can I tell you the actual, this is completely the truth about it. Yep. That I had in my top three, there were three people I'd always wanted to interview. Yeah. And uh, Oprah Winfrey, mm-hmm. Desmond Tutu, yep. and Judy Dench. Wow. And so when I contacted uh, Judy and Finty about this, and they said, yes, I couldn't believe it. At the end of the interview, I promise you, on my word of honor, Chris, this is the truth. At the end of it, I, and they said goodbye. I took my headphones off. I burst into tears. I couldn't <laughs> believe it had happened in my life. I love the fact you did that. Because... Um... You play this game at the end of the interview, don't you, where, and you say, who would you like to meet? And they, they then turn it back on you, and you say Desmond Tutu and Oprah Winfrey. How close have you come to Oprah's orbit? Oh, I can't. I've tried every which way. Yeah. You know Oprah. No, but I know what you mean, though, because I've had oh. similar conversations, and I know, I know people that are, are so important. Well, I, you know, I have access now and again to some people who are so important, and they've put the call in, and, you know, she thinks about it sometimes, doesn't she? But uh, what's the closest you've come to her? Um, not. Not, <laughs> not close. Just not close. That's the closest. Just yeah, the no. other people were so lovely. Desmond Tutu, yep. I had a number for, and I keep calling, and it goes to answer phone. And I've left one message saying, Hi, I'm 
Happy Rosalind here. Right. Um, but it hasn't worked. He hasn't called back. He must have heard of the legend of the Big Breakfast. Come on, that that, that must have. Can got... you see the house is for sale? Yeah, no. Somebody showed it me today. It's unbelievable. Lockkeeper's Cottages are for sale. Where we did the Big Breakfast from? Five and, million uh, pounds. And Rachel said, "Well, what did? What were the neighbours like?" And I said, "Rachel." <laughs> <laughs> one was the production office, one of the houses. One was wardrobe and makeup, wasn't it, as well? Yeah. Uh, and then t- the two centre houses were the studio, uh, or the two on to the side were the studio, and the other two were, were production, weren't they? That's that's what happened there. We had, and there was, it, oh, it was amazing. And also, do you know what? Last Saturday, because I go on about how, because um, I was on Rob Beckett's podcast, Rob and Josh's podcast, right. and I lost it giggling about how I like people falling over and saying, I'm, and like, so Robbie talks about that as well on the podcast. But um, I was talking about it, and then I found a clip of you falling over the yellow chair. Yeah. And I put it up on Instagram. Everybody went completely mad, and they all say they remember that moment well. And so do I. And I look at it again, and I laugh so much. Yeah, I didn't just face plant the glass table. I face planted the glass table, then the floor, <laughs> didn't I? If I did that now, I'd, I'd literally be in, in hospital for like three months because because that, that, that's the no that's the difference between being under thirty and over fifty and nearly sixty. That's just the difference there, isn't it? All right, so it's it's that Gabby Roslin podcast, and it's available now from wherever you get your podcasts. Is that right? Yes, it is. That's exactly. Love you. Thank Love you. you. Love you. Thank you, darling. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Do you feel like you've lost your faith over the last 10 years? Of course you have. Their first album in a decade, All Blessed, is out on Friday and new single, Synthesizer, is out now. So here to tell us where on earth they've been is a sister that's truly blessed. It's Sister Bliss. Good morning, Sister Bliss. Hello, Chris. Good morning. You're right. I am. Thank you very much for asking. Okay. My little boy Eli sends his love. He was so excited that you were going to be on the show. My little sequined friend. <laughs> you literally oh. are his hero. He, t- he talks about you at least at least once a week, sometimes two or three times a week, and I think he I think I think he always will. Oh, I, I'm so pleased to have made an impression. <laughs> but I think I think we are yeah sisters in sparkliness. Without question. Um, now uh, we talked about where you know where have you been for the last ten years? Well, I know where you've been because you've come and played gigs for us. But from an album point of view, it's been ten years. Um, tell us about this one, and then we'll go back a bit further, even. Yeah, well, we did an album in 2015, but it was a remixing of the greatest hits. And as you know, because we came and played for you, we did some touring and some festivals off the back of that. And there was just so much love. It was incredible. You know, we couldn't quite believe we still had an audience. So that was very reinvigorating. And after that tour finished in 2016, uh, we started work. We just thought, well, let's, let's ride this wave. And it's inspiring to think that people might actually listen to your music. So... I'm always writing music. It's just what I do day in, day out. And uh, that became, I guess, the beginning of the rich tapestry that's become the new album, All Blessed. But we always wanted it to be a collaborative album. And so we were working with lots of different artists who brought, you know, I'd say some quite different flavours to the album this time round. It's so interesting what you say, because we hear this a lot from musicians. Uh, Musicians who are brilliant, whose music we've always loved since it came on the scene and will always love. Yet time and time again, we hear... Uh, people saying things like you just said, you know, re- unbelievably talented artists saying, well, we didn't really think anybody still liked us. And it's like, why doesn't why didn't somebody, you know, in the music industry remind everybody that may feel like this sometimes that we all do? Because there's only you that doesn't know that. <laughs> and, I know, it's a weird one, isn't it? It's but really strange. Spend, yeah, maybe that's an artist thing. You're living your head so much and in your, you know, in your own sort of personal world, sort of struggling away, trying to make sense of things and put it into musical or lyrical form 
um, in a way, the, the outside world sort of drops away, but it moves very fast. You know, we live in very fast-changing times at the moment. Uh, things change from day to day, from week to week. Um, and music is quite fickle in some ways. You know, what was the hot thing last year isn't the hot thing next year. So I don't take any of it for granted, which is, again, a little bit about what this album is about, is saying let's not take our blessings that we do have for granted. No, that was definitely uh, the, one of the underlying feelings that came out of realising how much how much love and appreciation there was out there. That there was a space for music that also had a sort of lyrical consciousness to it. You know, thanks to Maxie, this lyrical agenda set, if you like, you know, the theme for Faithless from the very first album when we met to make reverence. You know, he set the bar very high with his very poetic, lyrical style and a, and a political consciousness too. There's not that many bands that do that, I think, and are remain entertaining with it and uh, not exactly browbeating, but, but talking about things from a very personal perspective but unfortunately you know the way we live it's, it's affected by politics and in the everyday so i think again the new album carries on in that theme if you like you know that the music's still emotional but i think the lyrics are meaningful and i guess that's the contribution that we give to the to the world of music yeah, in our own inimitable fashion yeah and who doesn't want to listen to the album after that cell uh, that was the no cell cell that was absolutely gorgeous I could listen to you talk about this all day wax lyrical about it all day i mean that's the thing about a press isn't it that's why they try and get rid of the artists they try and caution quell the artists first of all because compassion creates art art engenders empathy and empathy gets you know begets community and change and that's why they really don't like it in fact they, they it scares the life out of them doesn't it gosh Beautifully expressed, Chris. So I said, would you like to be on the next album? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the change of the events right there. And that's what Dalai Lama said, you know, unless you find inner peace in yourself, how can we have a peaceful world? How can we find world peace? And Lord knows we need it. We need to have more empathy for, for each other, for ourselves, for, for the environment that we live in. We can't continue polluting it endlessly and poisoning the seas and the skies and so forth. I mean... Unfortunately, all this stuff is still front page news. Even though we started this album a while ago, um, it feels, as you say, very relevant. And, and underlining it all, absolutely, compassion is, is where it starts. And I think for me in my particular industry, it feels like we're speaking more with one voice now, that we haven't been very good at, at, at lobbying yeah. the government in this particular situation we find ourselves in with COVID. And a lot of people in our industry have... You know, as you know, we work, the people that make our lives possible, the promoters, you know, the production managers, the truck drivers, the lighting designers, you know, our agents and so on and so on. You know, these talented and dedicated people that make our lives possible have been completely and utterly, you know, their work and their, our world has been decimated. So we do need to stand together and have one voice about, about these issues. Um so I hope that, again, the album offers a bit of hope as well. It's not just sort of sitting there and political tub something at all. It's sort of taking quite an intimate look yeah. at how, how we live our lives and where we can find those moments of compassion and beauty and truth. And often it's in the mundane, it's in the everyday. You know, the first track on the album is called Poetry, and it is about finding the poetry in those little moments. You know, and from there we can then start to talk about the big things. But until we recognise the nourishment in some things that we just take for granted and pass us by and just we focus our gaze on those and we'll never get round to addressing the bigger problems, I think. I guess that's one of the strands in the album as well. But again, you know, we're all faceless. It's not kind of nihilistic. It's trying to look towards 
a hopeful way and like you say a way of compassion coming together through art through music yeah. reaching people and connecting that's the point of faces is connection and it will because it always does takes a while but as uh, Churchill said you know if you're going through hell keep going and it helps if you're dancing at the same time <laughs> right. it's out on uh, Friday this is a brand new album from um, Faithless All Blessed out this Friday single synthesizer is out now but hang on till Friday or pre-order the album um, visit faithless.co.uk for All Blessed The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio Thank you so much for listening to this the podcast of the Virgin Radio breakfast show don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our virgin radio breakfast show with sky